Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director with ACG's Media Group. Today's episode is part of our podcast series about business performance optimization. In the four episodes of this series, we're exploring cybersecurity, information technology, finance, and human capital, and talking about trends in each of these areas and ways to optimize each function. Today's episode is our spotlight on finance and accounting, and the series overall is sponsored by RSMUS, a leading audit tax and consulting firm focused on the middle market. And in each of the four episodes, you'll hear RSM professionals talking about their areas of expertise and insights from their work with private equity investors and middle market companies. Joining me today are two directors with RSM, Kristen Oates and Cody Roth, who both also work within management consulting CFO advisory services for RSM. Kristen and Cody, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Katie. So I'll start off with a question that I've been asking in each episode of this series, and I'll put it to you first, Kristen. As we look back on the past two years since the start of the pandemic, which developments would you say have had the biggest impact on finance and accounting? So historically, when we talked about finance organizations, it has been people, process, and technology. Now it's starting to transition more towards people, process, technology, and data. And organizations have a large amount of data that is easily able to be captured, but harder to determine in terms of how to use it in a meaningful way. So over the past couple of years, the FP&A function has become more front and center to organizations as FP&A is becoming more of a business partner to provide insights and more proactive data-driven reporting to the business in order for the business to make more real-time decisions. So this shift has continued to drive finance organizations from being less transactional and more of a strategic function. Additionally, finance organizations have invested heavily in technology to help drive efficiencies and support more remote or more of the hybrid work environment. And so some examples in terms of what we've seen is around, for instance, automating the closed process. So many finance organizations have typically been in person before COVID. And so during close, CFOs would walk down the aisle and learn what journal entries had been performed, what was still outstanding, et cetera. And, excuse me, finance team members used to collaborate in person during the close. And what became a priority during COVID was still being able to close the books in the same amount of time, but more in a remote world. And so this drove companies to implement close automation tools such as Blackline to help CFOs and finance uh, organizations obtain visibility to the close and help drive efficiency within the close process. Other areas that companies invested in was we're looking at quick wins in terms of allowing employees to work more remotely. So for instance, transitioning from cutting checks in office to moving towards having the bank cut their checks or working with vendors from moving from paper invoices that would be sent to them in the mail to transition them more to electronic invoices. Some of the other areas that we've seen more recently within the past year is specifically around the supply chain. Um, there's been a lot of unpredictability in terms of when goods are expected. And from a forecasting and budgeting standpoint, an impact in terms of how much was expected to be sold versus what was actually in inventory able to be sold. And ultimately across all industries, it seems as if talent from a retention and a hiring standpoint is difficult and understanding what is the future of work look like going forward. So 
organizations are still working in terms of how to manage flexibility and it's an evolving process that organizations are still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. No, thanks for that, Kristen. And, you know, all of that change makes me wonder how prepared finance executives were to deal with these changes, especially because they were coming from, you know, all these different fronts. You mentioned technology, but also supply chain and talent. Um, so, Cody, how how prepared were these finance executives um, from what you've observed? Well, that preparedness, it's dependent a lot on the executives themselves, whether they're strategic or transactional, as Kristen mentioned. So transactional, pretty reactive, want to keep plugging away, uh, you know, solve some of the problems by throwing bodies at it or just buying a technology they thought would help. The strategic, they want to look at their business more as a whole. And once this new working environment we've gone through was stabilized, it became an optimal time to invest and focus on how to improve your business. And this wasn't limited to a transaction necessarily or where you are, you're able to do this at any stage. And then also with what's become a little bit of the war on talent and these supply chain issues we're all experiencing, it's been an unprecedented time and it's been very difficult to plan. So those strategic executives, they can see a holistic view of the company and understand the dynamics of it, how things are working together, how different employees are reacting to the new environment and so on. Um, Some of the, the issues there have been historical knowledge on the company itself. That's a difficult thing to transition, a very difficult thing to replace. And that it's also led to some, you know, less ties between the employee and the company. So that retention risk is, has really been front and center. And again, what Kristen said, being in person has been really detrimental and a big change to finance organizations. It's very easy to you know, stand up and, and shout across a cube or go into an office to understand um, where people are and what's being done. So it's been a complete shift on the way work is done. Um, you know, going from all day workshops to splicing up some of the the time and and especially the time together. So that's been a difficult thing to balance when you're working from home or in a hybrid environment and aligning those schedules. And going back to your point on supply chain, Cody, I wonder, you know, in in a lot of ways, this was unprecedented. And I wonder if CFOs, if this was a major, learning curve for them, or if they essentially knew what they needed to do, but it became more of a resource question and not having enough people or technologies, whatever it is, um, in order to manage some of the supply chain disruption? Well, in, in a lot of organizations, uh, the supply chain, I wouldn't say it was an afterthought for CFOs, but that was something that the COO or the procurement team handled that finance kind of consumed. And now, with planning and forecasting and having to understand when you when you can't fulfill a need, that's been something the CFO has really been pulled into and has to then balance their business, their expectations, their you know financial reporting as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And on the talent front, both of you have touched on talent a little bit. Um, you know, I it, we hear so much about the Great Resignation and a lot of. Um, different industries and job functions are experiencing a shortage in the talent that they need um, to run their operations. So within finance and accounting, um, I wonder what the the roles that are most in demand or 
hardest to find right now? What are those, Kristen? It's really a challenge at every level. If you think about splicing it between your more skilled experience and your entry-level employees, at your skilled level, you have your senior accountants, your controllers, CFOs, and organizations, especially that are remote or hybrid need employees that are able to come in with the right skill set. And what we're seeing is that if employees came in during COVID, they may lack ties to the organization. And so with the amount and the volume of opportunities that are out there, that's easy for them to leave and not necessarily stay with the company for as long as they may have previously. On the entry level side, we've seen the pay scale compensation structure has changed. And so companies are looking to adjust that Um, But it's the same aspect as well, where employees coming in out of college or more in an entry-level position may not feel as if they need to stay tied to a company, especially if they came in during COVID, um, because they don't feel as attached as they would have if they were actually there in person on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And in this environment of limited resources, but also high demand, Um, What are organizations doing to bridge that gap, Cody? Yeah, so companies are focused on driving efficiencies, how you can do more with less while also balancing burnout. Um, That can be investing in technology to drive efficiency, or we've seen people moving to a shared service or an outsourcing model. Uh, One thing we've seen in the market a lot is the temporary staffing. That used to be bridging some gap and just reacting to a situation. And and now it's becoming more of a norm um, with our clients we work with. So temporary staffing has been great in the past to do some of that entry-level transactional processing, just kind of throwing some bodies at one of the problems. And now we're hearing uh, that they need more senior senior level people, uh, such as interim CFO, chief revenue officer, and so on. And then organizations have and will continue to leverage third parties and professional services organizations to help support some of the larger strategic initiatives with these longer term impacts and planning for the future. And what are some of the questions a business should consider or ask itself as it decides whether, you know, it needs a permanent on-staff professional or if it should utilize a temporary or a fractional resource? You know, just... What, what is the need? Is it a short-term need or a longer-term need? Um, temporary staffing, historically, you've had the opportunity to hire that resource full-time if, if you liked them and that need continued to exist. Uh, they have a little bit more power in, uh, in the business world these days and have some blocks on doing that because there's so much demand for it. So, you know, is it just a temporary, you've lost a lot of employees and you have to fill the gap and you don't want to hire just anyone that applies. You want to hire the right person. That could be one thing you're looking at that's a good time to use temporary staffing. You know, other times it's just maybe uh, you just can't find the resources out there or your pay scale isn't where you need to be and you have to react from that, you know, budgeting and forecasting uh, and you need to fill in the gap while you're doing that. And all of the challenges we've been talking about are um, happening against this backdrop of a heightened M&A environment in the middle market. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to know how these challenges are, are complicating M&A today. Oh, 
they complicated a lot and it, it kind of goes both ways. M&A can complicate, uh, complicate this as well. So your execution time on an investment is very fast paced. So what we've talked about before this, where teams are already stretched, you're doing more with less, you want to retain talent. Well, now you're trying to balance the execution of their day-to-day job um, with this new transaction. So you're, you're piling more on top of them. So that's going to just lead to more burnout. You're going to have to per- perhaps staff up. That's where some of these temporary staffing uh, could, could help you. But then, you know, you got to have the right people in place as well. And then an- another thing, as you're doing this, temp- using temp staffing or hiring quickly or reacting, having a resource that has M&A experience that can help you go through this transaction becomes a substantial risk and an unknown. And then also you lose a lot of that institutional knowledge of the company as employees you know, move around, you have temporary people in place. It's so interesting too, given that you know so many private equity investing strategies are predicated on the plan that they'll go out and make a series of acquisitions within a really short time frame. But it's sounding like um, if, you know if you don't have the right people or they're leaving the organization, that's going to make that all the more challenging to achieve what essentially under underscored the original investment thesis. Yeah, that's that's right. So just having, and it's. Also on top of that, our, the transactions are happening at a near record rate. Um, there's a lot of transactions going on in the business. It's a really good time to do that. So throwing this, you know, the great resignation and, and retention and all these problems on top of that leads to some, some uh, large risk potential in these investments. Hmm. And then looking toward post-transaction, Kristen, what types of improvements or changes related to the the finance and accounting function should be made after a deal closes? So one of the main areas is around financial reporting and making sure that the books are able to be closed in order for a private equity firm to get accurate and on-time reporting. And so typically this has been a little bit more flexible in the past. Um, So understanding the financial close process And it really is the result of upstream processes. It's not just a finance function, but very cross-functional in order to close the books. And so understanding what are the data, the systems, and the processes involved and what can be improved to expedite the close. Another one that is top of mind is typically around companies have a lot of data. So understanding what data is out there and leveraging the data and packaging it and a concise and effective format for stakeholders in order for them to gain visibility to real-time financials in order to drive revenue and manage costs is critical. Other areas that we see private equity firms and companies focused on post-transaction is around investments in technology and RPA. So there's a lot of institutional knowledge, legacy systems and manual processes at organizations versus private equity firms are looking to build efficiencies. And so standardization in the back office, both from a technology and a process standpoint are top of mind, especially with roll-ups. Overall, there are two levers. It's either increasing revenue and stabilizing costs or decreasing costs while maintaining revenue or, or pulling on both levers. And so evaluating the opportunities based on the PEG strategy is important in terms of determining how to get there. And as Cody alluded to, 
trying to retain people as you're driving these efficiencies and they have more to do with less, companies are trying to figure out how to make this work. Um, and it's a balance that they're still trying to figure out. And of the two levers you mentioned, I wonder if the the stabilizing cost option, if that becomes more challenging in a time like we're in now where we have rising input costs due to inflation, imminent interest rate increases, salary increases. Um, so I wonder if, if businesses are going to be kind of forced into focusing more on that first lever. Exactly, exactly. I think it's still an evolving aspect in terms of what the costs are going to look like over the next year and what the new norm is going to be, especially as we look at interest rates increasing and what's the impact in terms of compensation and what needs to be provided to employees, either from a hiring standpoint or in order to retain existing employees. And so going back to your statement, I think that there's going to need to be, companies are going to need to reevaluate how they were looking at it in terms of, are they actually able to stabilize costs as they originally thought, or are there other levers that they're going to need to pull? Hmm. And beyond what we've talked about so far throughout the conversation, which trends within the accounting and finance arena should investors or operators be focused on throughout the rest of this year? Cody, you want to take that one? Yeah, I mean... All the issues you're going to see post-transaction um, that are just going to have more of a spotlight on. We've we've hit on it. I, I know, but the retaining talent, and a lot of times you don't know kind of what you're walking into through the transaction process. You're having to quickly assess that at the front end. So you need to identify who knows the critical finance and accounting information. Um, you, it might be one person knows everything, and and that can cause a problem. So if you don't have that person and you don't have a retention plan in place, you're going to have to document what's going on now to reduce risks and really help uh, you know, through the transaction going forward. Um, and that's just that target company having their experience with the acquisition process. Have they gone through this before? And that's why so many companies reach out to uh, professional serv- service organizations like RSM because they may have people that have never done this or done this three times. Whereas, you know, we have people that are, are doing this six to eight to 10 times a year. So just kind of knowing everything that pops up, what are those first hundred days looking like? And then, uh, you know, finance and accounting, it's the ultimate consumer of all the changes and updates that happen through an M&A process. And having that finance and accounting leadership and representation as you go through that, it's going to help them understand the, understand the downstream effects and what the impacts are uh, on the business that, you know, someone in an operations role may not understand what their decisions are making. Um, and then finance and accounting, they, the challenges there are somewhat dependent on the environment and what the transaction looks like. So as Kristen alluded to earlier, you could just be getting acquired by a PE firm and then that's going to change the landscape of your financial reporting, make it much more complex. You may be measuring your business on 10 to 15 KPIs, and now you've inherited a 96-page board deck that you have to report on monthly. And that is a significant bandwidth issue for for companies. Um, If it's a merger of two like companies, how are you looking at the people, the processes, technology, data? How are you merging those together? What do those steps look like to get there? And then 
you could be going public. So then you're going to add in regulatory and compliance issues on top of that. And then, you know, on the talent, uh, what we've talked about over and over, and we're just seeing it so much is what does the wage increase look like? What are those retention bonuses? Who do you need to keep in place and for how long? And how do you incentivize those employees to go through this transaction, add value while still uh, doing what they're expected to do on a day-to-day basis? Mm-hmm. And Kristen, any, any parting thoughts, any things that executives or investors should be keeping an eye on in 2022? Every, I agree with everything Cody mentioned. The one additional point I would add in there is around the interest rate in terms of consideration around pricing and how much is passed on to the consumer. Um, so repricing of goods and services. And then also kind of on the flip side of that is what are the employee salary increases? What's going to be passed on in terms of the benefit to employees throughout this? So that's going to be another variable from a budgeting and forecasting standpoint that organizations are going to be working through this year. All right, great. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Kristen and Cody, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank Uh, you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world. We publish magazines and special reports and much, much more. Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening.